while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The just for the unjust, freely and by divine appointment of the Father, taking the sinner's place. Bearing his sins, receiving his condemnation, dying his death, fully paying his penalty, and signing with his life's blood the pardon of everyone who should believe upon him. That upon simple faith and acceptance of the atonement purchased on Mount Calvary, the vile sinner may be cleansed of his iniquities and made whiter than driven snow. Amen. Amen. And it's so good. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, for you, for me, the just, for the unjust, the righteous, for the unrighteous, freely giving his life, bearing our transgressions, receiving our condemnation, dying our death, paying the penalty for our sins. Jesus, with his blood, he pardoned every single one of us who has come to put our faith in him, to believe by faith in the sacrifice of the cross, even the worst of sins, even damned worst, and be washed, clean, forgiven of sin, declared righteous and holy. That's what we need. There's some good news in the house this morning. The plan of redemption. This, my friends, is what it's all about. To avoid, to represent, to minimize this doctrine in any way is to abandon the true power of the gospel and to abandon real Christianity. Without the belief and in the teachings of this foundational truth, there is no church, there are no Christians. Without the plan of redemption, you simply have false religion, empty religion. There's been such a push in this past decade for churches to preach a different message. Have you, have you heard that? Have you felt that? A newer message, a more relevant message. We've been embraced to, or been encouraged to embrace this idea of universalism. Universal, very popular today, this belief that everyone will, or uh, will eventually, or already is saved. It's going to become more and more popular in the days to come. Or pluralism. You want to be politically correct? You want to be accepted in this society? You almost have to believe in pluralism. Pluralism, which is to say that all religions are equally valid and equally true. And then on top of all of that, we have the American church. You and I, we have this obsession with personal improvement, self-affirmation, individual fulfillment. Church is now all about me. And in that kind of environment where church is all about me and my uh, happiness and me being successful and me being satisfied, it is hard to receive the offensive and exclusive message of the cross which says, you know what, it's not about you, it's actually about the God of the universe making a way, one and only way for you to get back in a relationship with him, and this way has a name, and his name is Jesus. The plan of redemption. It's an important doctrine to understand. And by the way, as a Bible-believing Christian, you will never know a day without the pressure of society telling you to give up on believing in God's plan of redemption. There will always be that pressure. The, the pressure that will tell you, do not believe on in Jesus. Just give up on Jesus. And I just encourage you, that's why you need to understand God's plan and be committed to boldly proclaiming God's plan as long as you live on this earth. Like I did last week, today I'm going to walk us through a series of questions. I'm already finding that the topics that we're covering, I could, uh, they're just huge. They're big. They're incredible. I could spend hours talking on them. Me speaking for hours is not going to be good for any of us. So I, I'm sticking to these questions. Hopefully it keeps me in line, keeps me under control. And, and hopefully I'm going to be able to explain this doctrine, not just so that we can be theologically puffed up, so that we can actually apply this doctrine into our lives, have it affect our day-to-day lives. So I want to read the Declaration of Faith. One more time. Thank you, Rachel. It says, we believe that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the just for the unjust, 
freely, wasn't an accident, freely, by divine appointment of the Father, taking the sinner's place, taking my place, bearing my sins, receiving my condemnation, dying my death, fully paying my penalty, and signing with Jesus' life blood the pardon of everyone who should believe upon him. That upon simple faith and acceptance of the atonement purchased on Mount Calvary at the cross, the vilest sinner may be cleansed of his iniquity and made white and driven snow. That's what we believe in, and it brings up a lot of questions. For me, I'm a questioning Christian. I, my brain is always going, going on. I can't shut my brain off. I always have all these questions. And one of the questions I always had growing up was this. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to die? Why is salvation necessary? I mean, do we really need to be saved? Is this whole thing necessary? As a kid, I was always trying to figure this out. Praise the Lord, I have people in my life, like my parents, who were willing to sit down with me, talk me through it, explain it to me, and today all I want to do is be able to talk you through it like they did for me. So we're going to walk through a series of questions. First question is this, why is salvation necessary? So again, the question I've asked my whole life, the basic question, is so important to understand. And this really goes back to what we talked about last week, and you can say that we're in the second week of a part, uh, two-part series. Part one was last week, part two is the day. Part one, if you remember last week, it's the reality of human sinfulness, that it extends way beyond the examples that we have particular acts and specific attitudes or thoughts, intentions, or words that we know are contrary to the will of God. See, we all observe those, we all see those, we, we hear about those things, but the reality of our sinfulness goes way beyond those particular acts, right? Beyond those specific acts. And last week, and we talked about that, we, we called it the fall of man. The fall of man, where Adam and Eve, they chose to seek the wisdom of, of good, or the knowledge of good and evil, instead of trusting in the wisdom and the love of God. And, and now as people who have inherited Adam's nature, which is one of disobedience, which is one of rebellion, there's this very real barrier between God and humans. I don't have to go, I don't have time to go into all the detail like I did last week, listen to the podcast if, if, if you want to check it out, but there's this very real barrier between God and and humans because of the fall. And this state of being fallen, it results in several things. I just want to list some of those today. It, it results in a guilt. We have this guilt for having violated God's law. Romans 3.23, we're told all have sinned. We've heard this before. All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And this guilt, it carries with it this condemnation. A condemnation. Romans 5.18 it tells us that one trespass, Adam's sin, resulted in condemnation for all people. By the way, when the Bible says all people, it means all people. A result of the fall is God's wrath. Again, not a very popular subject in the year 2014, but God's wrath. Terrible, terrifying punishment due to an unredeemed humanity by a righteous judge. Romans 2.5 is what it tells us. So because of your stubbornness, he's talking to all of us outside of Christ, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Another result of being fallen is captivity to sin. Captivity to sin that by the way, on your own, you are powerless to break. John chapter 8, 34. This is Jesus talking. When Jesus talks, we should listen. He says, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You're a slave to sin. You are powerless to break those chains. Another result is an alienation from God. An alienation on our own we are unable to overcome. Again, we talked about it last week, and finally, because of the fall, because of the unfalling, we have this prospect of eternal separation from God, the unending continuation of existence apart from the source 
of life. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need to be saved. The kid, he always said, I'm saved, or whatever. He didn't know what we were talking about. That's why you need to be saved. That's why you need God's plan of redemption. It's not just so you can be happy. It's not so you can just add Jesus to a pretty good life. And now my life's really good because I got Jesus. No, you were lost. You were hopeless. You were dead without him. All right. That's why it's necessary. Dead without him in your sin. Why is it possible? Why is salvation possible? Next question. Well, this is really brilliant of me to answer it this way. It's possible because God made it possible. Yeah. Isn't that brilliant? Um, I came up with that one on my own. <laughs> it, but it's true. Salvation is possible because God made salvation possible. It was the plan of God to provide a solution to the problem caused by the fall. Praise God for his plan of redemption. The suffering and death of his son, by the way, were not accidents. They were not accidents. They were predetermined <laughs> events that were prophesied in the Old Testament and declared and predicted by Jesus to his disciples. In God's infinite wisdom, he demonstrated in the death of Christ on the cross both his justice in punishing sin and his mercy in forgiving the unjust. I want to say that again. In his infinite wisdom, he demonstrated at the death of Jesus Christ on the cross both his justice in punishing sins and his mercy in forgiving the just, the justice and mercy of God meet at the cross. I just read Romans 3.23, again, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, but that is not a period there. There's a comma. Praise the Lord for the comma. I want, you to, I want to read the verses that come after that. All sin, all fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Verse 25 goes on to say, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Hallelujah. So salvation is possible because it's God's plan. I just read it, verse 24. Did you see that? I said, God presented Christ. This isn't an accident. This is God presented Christ as a sacrifice for our sins. Secondly, salvation is possible because it is directly, directly the result of God's love to humans. Salvation is possible because it is directly related to God's love for humans. You guys have all heard this verse before. Let's go ahead and say it again. John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's so important for us to understand. Our salvation is directly resulted, or a direct result of the love of God. Remember, this is so key. God because God is perfectly holy, he cannot tolerate sin. Sin cannot be in his presence. Because he is perfectly righteous, he must punish sin completely and impartially. One has to understand this. Because God is perfectly holy, he cannot tolerate, tolerate sin. And because he is perfectly righteous, 
He must punish sin completely without partiality. But because he is perfectly loving, gracious, and merciful, this perfect, holy, and righteous God has provided a way for humans to escape the penalty of judgment and be reconciled to himself. So the answer to why salvation is possible is God. It's God. Because God loves you. Because God loves me. The source of salvation is the love of God. So why is it necessary? Because of our sin. Substitution. You know, put me in, coach. 
This is not one of those times when you want to be put into the game because it means you're going to die. <laughs> the sacrificial animal, they would come in and they would die in the stead of the guilty person. Does that make sense? It's the idea of substitution, right? Instead of you, somebody else gets to die. And in this case, it was an animal. Leviticus 17, verse 11 explains this pretty well. Hopefully it makes sense to you this morning. For the life of the creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourself on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So that's why the blood is important. The blood, you see, so it's a substitutionary atonement. Now I hope as I'm explaining it, when I hope this thing makes sense, but then I hope also the light bulbs would start to go off when you start to think about Jesus. And Jesus died, and Jesus shed his blood, and we call Jesus a sacrifice. Maybe click on a little bit, right? Because see, just as in the Old Testament, the sacrifice of an animal was a substitution, the sacrifice of Christ is a substitution, but the significance of the substitution of Jesus Christ blows the former substitution out of the water. Because the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus, died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust. Jesus Christ, the sinless one, suffered and died in our place. The death that we were due, he died in death. He died for our sins. You ever think about what that means when you Jesus died for my sins? He died for your sins, meaning you had sinned, you were going to die, but Jesus took your place and died instead of you for your sins. Tracking with me? But here's where it gets really good. This is where you start getting goosebumps as a Christian. But unlike the sacrifices of the Old Testament, his sacrifice lasts forever. Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 14. This is so good. Day after day after day after day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again and again and again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, the same sacrifices, the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his forceful, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Hallelujah. 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 It's a substitutionary atonement that will last forever. My friends, that's what gets me up in the morning. As I know, Jesus has taken my sins away. He died instead of me dying for my sins. He died in my place. Hallelujah. And his sacrifice was done once and for all and will last on into eternity. But to fully answer the question... How is salvation obtained? Which again is a good question. We see it at the cross. It's important for us to understand the benefits of his atoning sacrifice. The benefits are only obtainable but by the grace of God, hallelujah, for his grace, but also through faith. Our part is faith, right? It's received, it's obtained through faith. As George Michael put it, you gotta have faith. George Michael was right, who would have thought? You must choose. By faith, to put your hope and your trust in the sacrifice. It's the only way to be saved. Salvation is obtained by repentance and faith in Christ's sacrifice. There's scripture after scripture that tell you that salvation and righteousness and holiness, they all come through having what? Having faith. Faith. Faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. But how is salvation obtained? It's obtained by Jesus' death on the cross, the substitutionary atonement, and by us believing and putting our faith 
in that sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then the last question for today is, what does salvation include? You know, what do you get when you're saved? I think we all want to know the answer to that, right? Have you ever thought about that? I'm saved, now what? What does it mean? And I think there's a lot of confusion in the Christian community to what it means to truly be saved. And when I flip on the channel and I watch some of the TV evangelists and the things that they offer you for being saved, it's incredible. And it's like, maybe I'm following the wrong Jesus because what they're preaching and what I see in the Bible are two completely different things. And maybe they're right. Good for them, but this is what I see in the Bible, and this is what I'm going to preach. Three images, three powerful images that I see. <laughs> see, the purpose of the atonement, the purpose of Jesus' death, again, this is something I always wanted to know. I, as a kid, I wanted to know why he had to die, but it's to provide a solution for the effects of the fall. All those things that we talked about last week guilt, condemnation, God's wrath, bondage to sin, alienation, eternal separation from God. All this stuff that we talked about last week. And today, part two, because of God's love, he sent his son to die on the cross, substitution and atonement. Jesus' death, to put our faith in this sacrifice. Jesus' death, it provides a solution for all of that. You know that? All of that. Like so many people still living in all of this, trying to do some good things and outweigh the bad things. All of this is just, this is a mess. <laughs> and then Jesus comes in. And he fixes all of it. He literally saves you. So if you were wondering what it means to be saved, that's what it means to be saved. You're saved from all of that. And there's three powerful images I want to share with you today. There's probably more than that, but I love these three. Uh, salvation. It includes these three things. Number one, justification. Another really churchy word. How many of you ever heard of the word justification? Right? It's a great Word to impress your friends with, but I mean, just beyond it, it is an important word to understand. Again, a word that I read this, just what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? Well, here's the deal. You and I, we have this problem of alienation from God. Does that make sense? An estrangement from God. Because of the fall of man, because of the uh, nature that we've inherited from Adam, we have this alienation from God. But through Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us we are now justified. Justified. It comes, uh, the term comes from the court of law. The idea is that God, as the judge, is declaring the guilty sinner to be righteous by virtue of a personal faith in who? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. You're getting it. So we are justified. Maybe you've heard it this way. My, my wife explained it to me this way. I, I really liked it. Justified is as if just as if I just as justified never sinned, right? Um, and I love that because when you're justified, you are being declared righteous. And when you're righteous, it means you have not sinned. And so you're, you're righteous, you're holy, you're clean, you're a set-apart one of God. And our faith in Christ results us in being identified with him so that God now attributes Christ's righteousness, which we all know Christ is righteous, right? But now God attributes Christ's righteousness to us. Hallelujah, enabling our relationship with God to be restored. In the heavenly courtroom, we stand acquitted. Acquitted. And that's important. We're acquitted. We're not innocent. I used to think it was that we were innocent. But we're acquitted. We're acquitted. We're acquitted, by the way, of any sin, though, that we've committed, and we can now claim to be righteous because we are in Christ, who is righteous. But this is important to understand, and I've had to learn this, but the sins that we've committed, they haven't just been overlooked. The sins that we've committed haven't just been ignored. 
The sins that we've committed have been paid for. They haven't just been overlooked. They haven't just been ignored. Have you just done that before, right? Just kind of ignore the sin. He couldn't do that as a righteous and just and holy God. But it had to be payment. They were paid. Jesus became our substitute. He's taken our sin upon himself. And we receive this gift by faith. And as we receive this gift, it results in the elimination of us being enemies of God and eliminate our hostility towards God and eliminate our alienation from God. And when we realize we are no longer God's enemies, no longer cursing Him, no longer warring with Him, no longer violent towards Him, we experience a great personal peace. That's what Romans 5.1 tells us. Therefore, since we have been justified, declared righteous through faith, we now have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that scripture comes alive this morning. After explaining everything I've explained, that verse should rock your world. Therefore, since we have been justified, declared righteous, as if we had never sinned through faith, thus putting our faith in God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we now have peace with God. How? How do we have peace with God? Through our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Does it make sense? Is it coming together? This stuff gives me excited. I love this kind of stuff. Because it's making sense. Jesus Christ, your sacrifice, thank you for the sacrifice. There's justification for me. I am declared righteous because of your death on the cross. Another great image is the idea of acceptance, the idea of adoption. This is more of a family thing, right? Relationship of reconciliation back to God. John, listen to Jesus. Jesus has got some good stuff to talk about being in the family. John chapter 6, verse 7. This is Jesus speaking. He says, all those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Do you see the acceptance? You come to me, he says, I will never drive you away. Acceptance. John 1, 12, he's talking, he says, or, or this is Jesus, but it says, yes, to all who did receive him, receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, put their faith in him, he gave the right to become children of God. So this is the idea of adoption. That we are adopted sons, we are adopted daughters. And this is probably my favorite image of what God has done for us and God's plan of redemption and salvation has done for me. See, having my sin forgiven and having him restore me into a right relationship with himself, the reality is that now God welcomes me into his household as his child. Anybody ever just wish that you could be in the household of Father God? And to know that you're in his father's, in your father's house, in his household, that you are declared his son, you're declared his daughter, and you can call him all the father. Does anyone else, let's just speak to your heart. Hallelujah. It means everything to me. Galatians 3.26. It says, so in Christ Jesus, Daniel, Alan, verse, you are a child of God through faith. So in Christ Jesus, life plain church, you are all children of God through your faith. This image shows us that God's love for his people, that God, we're actually wanted by God. Isn't that beautiful? That we're actually valued by God. Dan Bursch, to know that he loves me, that he wants me to be a part of his family. It means so much to me. I mean, think of it this way. Salvation was not something he was obligated to offer. Sometimes you kind of think that way, right? Well, I guess. You know, I don't really want to. 
And I guess I'll give it to you. No, see, salvation was something that was God's idea. He deeply and earnestly desired for us to be saved. It was his initiative. It was his plan. It was his idea to reconcile us back to himself. He was the one who was concerned about our lost relationship with him. He is the one who initiated the plan because that is because of the love of the Father in Christ. Our Father God accepts us and he adopts us. I love this because in a world that is so harsh and so cold, in a world where you can feel so alone, isn't it beautiful to know that as Christians we are adopted sons and adopted daughters of the most high and we are a part of his family forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the third image is salvation includes receiving eternal life and being born again. Eternal life and being born again. This is probably the one that we talk the most about when presenting the gospel. It's the one that we preach the most about in our sermon because it's addressing something that most of us care deeply about. It's our attention because we're talking about something we all depend upon, which is life. Right? Life. And at the cross, the, the prospect of eternal separation from God is met with the provision of eternal life. Eternal life being given to those who have the result of believing in Christ, putting our faith in Christ. We have been born again by the Spirit of God. Prior to conversion, the sinner is said to be dead. We talk a lot about that at this church. Ephesians 2 talks about that we were dead. The absence of a right relationship with God is the absence of life. Let's say that again. The absence of a right relationship with God is the absence of life. I don't care what you're saying or what you're doing or how you smell. The absence of God and the presence of God in your life is death. Since God is the only source of life, the only source of life, the only source of life to be separated from Him is to be dead, cut off from the life of God in contrast. Eternal life is life in the presence of God, which all of us who have professed Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have eternal life right now in the presence of God, beginning at that moment that you said, yes, Jesus, come into my life, you're born again, a new creation, and that presence and that spirit of God dwelling within you and that relationship with God in His presence will last continually forever and ever. Just so you know, as a Christian, right now, you are one who is living, moving, and breathing with the indwelt Spirit of God dwelling within you. That you have the Spirit of God right now within you. He is alive and well within you. I pray that He is alive and well within you. The Holy Spirit has joined Himself to your spirit, and He's made you alive. You're born again, regenerated, a new creation. Now, I question sometimes when I hang out with some Christians. I, I don't know if I see that life. But just so you know, there should be some life in you. When I hang out with you, I should know that you're born again. The beginning of Ephesians, you know, remember he said the, the deposit of the Holy Spirit. And why do we have the deposit of the Holy Spirit? It's a glimpse of things to come. So after death or upon Christ returns, whoa! The presence of God in fullness forever. Eternal life. God's plan of redemption. It's the story of love and it's a story of life. I just encourage you, and this is a little off topic, but when we come in this room on Sunday morning as believers, this should be the most life filled, joy filled, love filled place on the planet. Because we got life. We're a new thing. This is a new thing. When we come together, this is a new thing. Our old ways, our old self, the chains of addiction, the chains of, and the slavery of sin, all that stuff has been broken by the power of the cross in Jesus Christ 
life. God's idea was always life. Life. Even at the beginning, it was life. Even now, guess what? It's still about life. Eternal life. World without end. John chapter 6, 35, Jesus declares this. This, if this doesn't get you excited about what Jesus wanted to do by giving us life, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, you will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. John 10, he keeps on talking. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them what? Eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out. Plan. Story of love, story of life. I, I want to play a video for you, and if you watch this video, I just want you to ask a question. It's a simple question, but it's a bad question. Am I saved? Am I saved? Have I put my faith in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ? If you haven't, just say this. Accept this free gift of salvation today. Put your faith in the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross. Put your faith in him. You will receive eternal life. If you're already born again, hallelujah, isn't this the awesomest thing ever? The best decision ever that God haunted you with his presence. He chose you before the foundations of this world, and you received him through faith. Come on, it's a celebration. But I'm going to ask you the question, are you truly living as someone who is born again? Who truly has that new life in Jesus? Just ask yourself this question. Am I one? Who is justified, declared righteous, an adopted son? Am I living as an adopted daughter? Am I living as a holy one of God? Or am I settling for a substandard version of life? It's probably involved me trying to do my own thing, trusting in my own works, living for the gods of this world instead of truly surrendering, down, down, trusting in the lover my soul. I've been asking myself these questions. Because I want life. I want to achieve life. So let's watch this video and then I'll come back up. It's the full story of life crushed into four minutes. The entirety of humanity in the palm of your hand crushed into one sentence. Listen, it's intense, right? God, our sins, paying everyone life. The greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told. God. Yes, God, the maker and giver of life. And by life, I mean any and all manner and substance. Seen and unseen, what can and can't be touched. Thoughts, image, emotions, love, atoms, emotions, God. All of it is handiwork. One of which is masterpiece. Made so uniquely that angels look curiously. The one thing in creation that was made with his imagery, a concept so cold, it's the reason I stay bold, how God breathed into man and he became a living soul. Formed with the intent of being infinitely, intimately fond, creator and creation held an eternal bond, and it was placed in perfect paradise till something went wrong. The species got deceived and started lusting for his job and oddness to complaints, as if the system ain't working, and you said, You participated in the mutiny. Our, yes, our sin. It's nature inherited. Black in the human heart. It was over before 
it started. Deceitful day one and led away by our own lust. It's not a religion in the world that doesn't agree that something's wrong with us. The question is, what is it? And how do we fix it? Are we eternally separated from a God that may or may not have existed? But that's another subject. Let's keep grinding. Besides trying to prove God is like deep in a lion, homie. You don't need to help. Just unlock the cage. Let's move on on how our debt can be paid. Short and sweet. The problem is sin. Yes, sin. It's a cancer. An asthma. Choking out our life force, forcing separation from a perfect and holy God, and the only way to get back is to get back to perfection with silly us. Trying to pass the course of life without referring to a syllabus. This is us. Chant, pray, meditate. But all that force is praying, come on, I'm caught. You can choose to ignore it as if something don't sink. It's like stepping in dog poop and refusing to wipe your shoe. But all that ends with how good is good enough. Take your silly list of good deeds and line them up against perfection. Good luck. That's life past the pay grade. The cost of your soul, you ain't got a big enough piggy bank. But you can give it a shot. But I suggest you throw away the list. Because even your good acts are an extension of your selfishness. But here's where it gets interesting. I hope you come to listening. Please don't get twisted into what makes our faith unique. Here's what God says as part A of the gospel. You can't fix yourself. Quit trying. It's impossible. Sin breaks death. Give God his breath back. You owe him. Eternally separated. And the only way to fix it is someone dying in place. And that someone got to be perfect. But a payment ain't permanent. So if and when you find a perfect person, get him or her to willingly trade their perfection for your sin and death in. Clearly, since the only one that can meet God's criteria is God, God sent himself as Jesus to pay the cost for us. His righteousness. His death functions as pain. Yes, pain. Wrote a check with his life, but at the resurrection we all cheered because that means the check is pierced feet, pierced hands, blood stained son of man. Four minutes for giving his free passage into the promised land. That same breath that God brings into us, God gave up to redeem us. And anyone and everyone, and by everyone and everyone, who puts their faith and trust in him and him alone can stand in full confidence of God's forgiveness. And here's what the promise is that you are guaranteed full access to return to perfect unity by simply believing in Christ with Christ alone. You are receiving life. Yes.
Not just so that you could save us from hell, not just so that you could save us from separation from your presence, but so that you could actually give us life, the joy, the richness, the satisfaction, the abundance of life, the life, the freedom of the sound of life. Life, life, life. Pain. Lord, for anyone who does not know you as a slave, who does not confess you as their Lord and Savior, who has not, by grace through faith, put their faith in you, Jesus, and your atoning sacrifice on that cross, the sacrifice that not only covered our sins, but took them away. We just pray this morning, Lord, that this would be the opportunity for them to choose life, choose you, put their faith in you. I'll have heads bowed, eyes closed. If there's anyone here that would like to make that decision, you know that God's been calling you. You know that He has been pursuing you. If you'd like to make the decision, choose life and receive the free gift of salvation. Just raise your hand now. I can celebrate with you, pray for you. I'd love to walk you through a prayer. ones of God. That's exciting. We all are this side of eternity. Forever. In heaven. Hallelujah. I'm not going to know you for a while. But I do pray as we continue to pray. God, that you would spare each one of us individually, person by person, on what it means to truly live life. God, remind us once again what it means to be saved. Remind us that we're not just punching a ticket get to heaven, but we are declaring our allegiance, our obedience, our surrender to you as our Lord and our Master. We are saying, not my will be done anymore, not my agenda be done anymore, not my plans be done anymore, but God, your will be done. By your Holy Spirit, by the leadings and promptings of your Holy Spirit, your will be done. My life is no longer my own, my life is yours. On my own, I am unrighteous. On my own, I am dead in my sins. But in Christ, I am righteous, redeemed, justified, whole, forgiven. So Jesus, help us. Even now, as I'm praying, just do your work. Begin to speak into those areas. Some of us, we so willingly sin. Willingly do things contrary to your will, Lord. And some of us in this room have justified those sins. We have made excuses for them. We have put the blame on other people around us for those sins. And I pray that this would be a house with no excuses. That the excuses would just fall by the wayside. We no longer compare ourselves to the person to our left or to our right. But we say, Jesus, what have you called me to do? Jesus, what is the life you have called me to live? And we would not be obedient to our mother, our father, our son, or daughter, but we would be obedient to you, Jesus Christ. And any love that we show to the person to our left or to our right would flow from us just in a ridiculous, intense obedience to you, Jesus. Any love that we would show to anyone around us would flow from the source of love, would flow.
you, Jesus Christ, and your love that you have for us. God, some of us just, we need to repent. Repent of our sin. Say, God, I'm sorry, and I'm turning the other way. Some of you right now in a very spiritual sense, in a spiritual realm, you just need to say that within your heart. God, I'm sorry, and I'm turning the other way. I have justified those things for too long. I have made excuses for those things too long. I'm turning the other way. I am professing and claiming the blood of Jesus in my life, washing me clean, and I'm turning the other way. Some of you, you think, I just feel it, that your sin is too great. I just know there's someone right now in this room that you feel your sin and what you have done is too great for the forgiveness of God. That you could never live this new creation, born-again life, because your sin is too great. I just want to say this in the prophetic. This life is not about you and what you're doing. It's about Christ and what He has done. And He has already paid the penalty for your sin. All of them. All you have to do today is put your faith and believe in Jesus Christ and His only sacrifice on the cross. Stop beating yourself up about what you did yesterday. Instead, find the freedom today in what Jesus has done for you. You need to receive that this morning. You're trying to do some good works to cover your behind for the things that you've done. I just declare right now, declare in the name of Jesus, as you accept his gift of salvation, you are free, you are forgiven, you are declared righteous, justified as though you had never sinned. The penalty has been paid. Your sins that were going to lead to death have now been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That work is being done even now as we pray. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. That work is being done even now as we pray. Hallelujah. You're doing that work even now, Lord. Eternities are being won even now. I believe that, Lord. Hallelujah. Generations are being set free from the bondage of sin even now. Sons and daughters are being set free from oppressive moms and dads right now. Thank you, Jesus. Generations are being changed even now by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a work in the spiritual realm being done right now that we not even ever, ever see on this earth. And I thank you, Lord, even now that our have been broken, people are being set free. Jesus Christ, the power of the cross, is true today as it ever was. Hallelujah. The power of your blood is true today as it ever was. The power of salvation is true today as it ever was. Hallelujah. People are being saved even now, Lord. You are saving us, God. You are rescuing us. You are delivering us. Hallelujah. 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 Praise you.